As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 58th episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How you doing today, Jill? I'm good. How are you? We had some fun with this one. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This was so exciting. This was so cool. This was very cool. This was our first ever live podcast. Yes, it was. And not only was it live, but it was live with a ginormous author. And a ginormous audience. And a ginormous audience. (laughs) So we got to sit down with James Dashner. We did. Who wrote... All of the Maze Runner series, which yep. is what he's best known for. Um, and it was one of our partnership interviews with Cuyahoga County Public Library, yep. our friends. Um, they have this, well, they, all of their libraries are actually new or renovated in the last yes. couple of years. And one of them, conveniently right by my house, which I love very much, it's actually my library. Uh, they have this auditorium where they have these great author events. And yes. I didn't know that when they said auditorium. Oh, you didn't know? I've never been there? I hadn't been into the actual auditorium. Yeah. So we get there and they tell us, you know, James will be there in a little bit and all this stuff. And the guy said, who we work with, he's like, do you want to see the space? It's like, sure. It's an auditorium. It's an auditorium. It's like 400 plus people. And they sold out the event, which they tend to do. So um, I think James mentions this. He's like, I felt like I was on the Tonight Show because it is like we were on a stage and in with front couches. Of the... Yeah, with couches. Yeah, <laughs> little love seat for the two of us, and it was a blast. It was. It was it really was really cool. Um, that's gonna sound a little different because it's a live podcast, correct? Um, so that you'll hear the crowd and you'll hear an introduction, and um, yeah, it was. It was fun. I'm excited that we get to keep doing this. Me too. I, There's lots of fun authors coming. That Yeah, and I keep waiting for them to change their mind and be like, actually, <laughs> we don't want you two to do this anymore, but they seem to really like us, and we obviously I'm not going to lie. Like, until we had gone to that, I had, like, imagined it was all just sort of, like, in my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you get done, like, anytime we do author interviews or podcasts, you get this kind of, like, adrenaline rush. It's a lot of fun to do, and then when you meet the authors, it's... A little bit of an adrenaline rush because right. you know, these people that we've almost all of them we've read their books and it's exciting to meet them and then you get done and you kind of have to like come down from that adrenaline rush this was an entirely yeah, different thing it was because we got off of a stage and we're like right. huh that just happened i know so, that, like this huge crowd like... yeah um i suppose we should say why we were interviewing him he has a new book he does it's, uh, it's called the fever code it's yes. a prequel to the maze, maze runner. runner so basically I... answers all the questions and i think it comes between the first prequel and the maze runner right, right. yeah and it answers all the questions that people had while reading the maze runner and 
There are a few people there. We interviewed him two days after his book came out, and there mm-hmm. are a few people who had already read it. I know. Which is impressive. That always... It's dedication. Yeah, it blows my mind. But he was great. It's It was... It's fun to meet someone who's a really, really big deal and find out that they're a normal human being and right. totally down to earth. And there is a Q&A. Yes. Yes. And I'm going to take the blame for this. The first few questions, we didn't repeat what the audience was asking. So yeah. it might be a little bit difficult, but you'll you'll hear his answers and it's right. pretty obvious what he's talking about. But then um, one of the people at the library politely held up a sign to us yes. and was like, hey, repeat the question. Um, so, yeah. But again, it'll sound a little different, but it's a really cool experience. So we're going to have a few more of these moving on yes. in the fall and winter and spring and all this good stuff. So I will I say one of my favorite things about this one is how many boys are in the audience. Yeah. There were a lot of boys. Yes, there were. Which was so cool. Yeah. So we talked about it, like you and Jim and Quentin talked about it, mm-hmm. getting boys to read. Yeah. And in addition to that, this was one of two YA um interviews that I did that week. The other one was with Lee Bardugo mm-hmm. and I helped out with her Q&A session as well. And I don't feel like I'm an old person until I was seeing all these teenagers who read all her books and I was like, oh no, I'm so old now. I know. Um, but it was, it was yeah. really, it's really cool to see young readers, not only just like young readers because there is this, you know, young kids don't read, but then you see young people who are crazy excited about yes. the books, which is awesome. So. Agreed. Uh, how can people get a hold of us if they want to reach out? They can email us at feedback at overdrive.com and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we also have all of the books mentioned in the podcast on Pinterest and overdrive.com. Yes, we do. So, all right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this live interview. Again, it was a great experience for Jill and I. So hopefully you'll share our excitement and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> With that said, tonight is also a very exciting evening because it's going to be the first time we've done this. It is a live recording of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Anyone familiar with that? So Overdrive, which is the world's largest provider of e-content, e-audiobooks and e-books, is also located in our backyard here in Garfield Heights, Ohio. And Cuyahoga County Public Library has partnered with Overdrive and their top-ranked iTunes podcast, Professional Book Nerds. Every author we bring to town, they are going to interview them for the podcast. Typically, that happens before an event. But tonight, you guys all get to partake of the first time we're doing the podcast live. It's going to be recorded tonight while they're on stage. Okay, And you'll be able to download that probably next week. So Now, don't just shout randomly to hear yourself on the podcast. Um, but without further ado... I want to welcome everyone to our main event. Please welcome best-selling author. You want to say his name for me? And our professional book nerds, Adam Sogol and Jill Grunenwald. Thank you. Welcome. Hello, how's it going? Wow, that's a lot of people. You guys came just to see me? 
That's so sweet. Well, they're not here to see us. I mean, yeah. and those guys? No, yeah. it's no. They're here to see you. I'm pretty sure. Who's excited to be here? Yeah. Well, I don't really feel like we deserved an equal introduction, but Bill, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, normally, we start a podcast by telling people about the author that you're about to hear, but I'm guessing you guys are all slightly familiar. But he did have a new book come out two days ago. So who has read the new book? It's only been two days. Hey, there's a couple. Okay. Nice. That's a good thing. I was hoping not a ton of people would, so we could start off with maybe you giving people an introduction to the latest title. All right. I feel like I'm on the Tonight Show or something. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I am very, very excited about the Fever Code. It feels like the end of a very long journey for me. I started brainstorming and writing the Maze Runner 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago, in 2005. And it's just consumed. Nice shirt, by the way. She has a Newt shirt down here. That's fantastic. Do we have any Newt fans here? A few. Yeah, you guys are just obsessed with this Newt guy. I don't get it. Just kidding. No, everyone loves Newt. I love Newt, too. Some people have threatened to murder me when we talk about Newt. But anyway, so it's just it's been such a huge part of my life, and you guys are, are a big reason it's allowed me to do what I love for a living. It's allowed me to travel all over the world. And even before The Maze Runner came out, mm-hmm. I had always planned to do a prequel. Mm-hmm. Just because you guys know the nature of the story with their memories wiped and all this intrigue and wondering how in the world did they end up here, I thought a prequel would be cool. And The Fever Code was the one I always envisioned. You know about The Kill Order, which I wrote four years ago, and but the Fever Code was, was like saving the best for last, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a little strange to end a series with a prequel, but it totally feels like an ending, even though it's really, in a lot of ways, the beginning. So hopefully you'll like it. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Yeah. I didn't tell you one thing about it, but I gave you a very long <laughs> answer. That was a good way of working around that. That was really well done. It came full circle like yeah. that. It yeah. stars Thomas and Newt and Teresa and Chuck and Gally and Albie and Winston and Ava Page and Jansen and some new people and lots of crazy stuff happens. You should put that on like the front. Just the whole thing. The tagline. Yeah. That's a really long tagline. Yeah. That's yeah. a very long tagline. Yeah. I don't think that's a good selling point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was your inspiration for the Maze Runner series? Well, I always tell people that when I first started brainstorming and writing, I was watching the TV show Lost. Yeah. Anybody here a Lost fan? Me. How many of you, I think I'm one of three people on the planet who loved how it ended. You did? Yeah, I did. I loved the <laughs> Thank ending. you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to raise my hand. I spent like three and a half years <laughs> trying to defend how it ended, and then I finally gave up. But anyway, I really think you could probably see the influence of Lost on the Maze Runner. Just it was the whole thing was pushed forward by mystery and intrigue and wondering what in the heck is going on, and that's how I wanted the Maze Runner to feel. And 
But there are lots of things throughout my life that probably contributed to it. When I was a kid, I had really bad parents and they let me watch The Shining. <laughs> okay? I mean, I'm serious. I think I was like seven years old watching The Shining. And people wonder why I'm so messed up. But at the end of that movie, there's this really sweet scene where the dad is chasing his son with an axe through a, through a garden maze so in sweet. the snow. Yeah. Yeah. So Very tender. Very tender. He was trying to connect with him. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Father, son, body. Uh, yeah. But that scene is so spooky and eerie, and the music is just creepy. And it stuck with me and haunted me for my whole life. I still have nightmares about mazes. So it just felt natural to, to incorporate a giant maze into one of my stories. I need to t- I'm, I'm going to get in trouble with some parents here. I've talked to a number of authors who have all said that they read It when they were far too young. Like they're like, oh, I was eight, and I was yeah. reading It in my basement, and I'm sitting there horrified at the thought of that as you know, an adult. So I think if you want to be a writer, maybe the key is to haunt yourself early. Like, just torment yourself as a little kid when you probably shouldn't be seeing these things. Is that where you kind of yeah. get those crazy You ideas? said it, not me. That, that's, why said said, <laughs> that's why I said it, so you didn't have to be the one no, who said I, It is one of my favorite books of all time. Now, I didn't read that till high school, I think. Probably didn't come out till I was in high school. I can't remember. And they're making a movie of it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, two movies, actually. Mm-hmm. And anyone, I mean, that's probably a huge reason why so many people are terrified of clowns. I know I'm terrified of clowns. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, right there with you. Uh, why are clowns so creepy, but they're supposed to bring us so much joy? I just don't get it. <laughs> but anyway... Wh- what was the question? That wasn't even a question. <laughs> I was just here to tell people. I'm really good at yes, that. Yes, I by do the way. love. The, I yeah. love it. And yes, I think we should we should gather around as families and read Stephen King books. <laughs> nice, cozy. I agree with yes. that. I agree with that. So you said that you kind of always planned on writing this book. So what was the process like for writing the Maze Runner? I guess when you started this whole process, did you kind of have like a big imagination board with here's how this whole thing is gonna this whole arc is gonna happen or was it kind of one at a time? I guess maybe just take us through that process. Well, it definitely started with a huge brainstorming session where, I mean, I don't even really know how it started, but I was going to bed and I just, I imagined this giant maze made out of stone and started thinking of what it meant and why there would be a giant stone maze. And my mind just blew up and I went downstairs and grabbed a notebook and just was furiously writing down ideas and a lot of the stuff a lot of that stuff I wrote that night ended up being the story and just for weeks and months and years this story gestated in my head even as I was writing Maze Runner I was always thinking ahead and thinking behind and so much of it was up here but I also tried to take as many notes as I could and had a general outline. But it definitely evolved from book to book. Mm-hmm. The overall story would evolve. It was never just completely in concrete, which I don't think storytelling ever should be in concrete. That's what, you know, like, <coughs> the, ma- <coughs> the magic of telling bedtime stories or whatever, do you like that? <laughs> Is... 
you know, I've always told, I have these ridiculous, this ridiculous series of stories that I've told all four of my children called, they're called John and the Aliens stories. And they're <coughs> about a guy named John. <laughs> and, and some other aliens. <laughs> and a number of aliens. We still have never figured out how many aliens are with him. And I've ripped off everything from Close Encounters of the Third Kind to Star Wars. Inspired. I mean, they inspired me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but part of the fun is just making these stories up as I'm telling them to them. And seeing their eyes get wide and having new ideas pop in my head. And sometimes they'll suggest something and I'll add that to the story. So I think storytelling is a very fluid, organic process. That's what keeps it fun and, and creative and magical. But it also helps to plan ahead a little bit. So it's a little mixture of both. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. I like it. What, um, one of my favorite things when it comes to listening to authors talk is talk about their writing process. Do you have like a set time that you write? Do you write you have, like a word count? How do you actually go about the act of writing? Good question. <laughs> it depends on what mode I'm in. Sometimes I'm in first draft mode. How many of you are writers, by the way? Raise your hand. Awesome. How many of you like to read? Stupid question. <laughs> How many of you don't like to read? Yep, there's always one. <laughs> Sitting there looking at his laptop. Following Thursday Night Football, I'm sure. No. Anyway. Okay, so if I'm in first draft mode, I am very, that's probably the most structured I ever am. Because I, I like to keep myself going at a certain pace. I'll have what I call a writing session in the morning, then one in the afternoon. Generally, my goal is probably 2,000 words a day. But, I mean, it's not set in stone. Right. You can't just force something. Sometimes I'll get in the mood at, as I'm going to bed for writing. And uh, <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> And I will just, I cannot not write. And, I'll, and I know it's going to be a disaster because I'll be up all night. But I'll take my laptop out and I'll start writing. And it just starts flowing and it's, soon, it's four in the morning. Those are really magical moments. They don't happen all the time. But. So, but then you have editing mode, which is not my favorite. <laughs> if I could just write a book and it was perfect and I never had to see it again, It'd be too good to be true. That would be awesome. That would be pretty Does sweet. Does anybody like editing? <clears throat> Is anyone here a perfect writer? You're a perfect writer? Just, <laughs> but you like editing? What is wrong with you? <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And, I mean, you have to edit. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean I don't do it. I spend countless, countless hours revising I mean, if you can imagine reading the same book 20 times in a row, I don't care if it's Harry Potter, you're going to start despising every word of that book. Ooh. Maybe not Harry Potter. I, <laughs> you picked like, I got you some picked like the one example. Yeah. That I got some ugly fly. faces from the audience. What did you say? <laughs> I will murder you and your family. <laughs> it would be hard to read even Harry Potter 20 times in a row without doing anything else. Still getting ugly faces. <laughs> and then, of course, there's promotion mode, like right now, traveling all over the place. 
And I usually don't do a lot of writing during that time. It's too stressful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So speaking of kind of, of promoting books, writing books, editing, but you have the whole process. And as you mentioned, you spent a lot of time, a lot of your life writing this series of books. And you've, you know, you've done it twice. You have a second series of books with the Mortality Doctrine. But as I knock things over, uh, how, how does it feel for you to kind of close a chapter of your life knowing, at least in theory, unless you're going to give us something away that you're going to write more books in this universe, but no. how does it feel? I didn't think so. How does it feel to close that chapter of your life? It's very bittersweet. You know, I Maze Runner is, I mean, I get very emotional about Maze Runner. It is just, oh, you do too? See, I'm guessing, I'm guessing they do too. Probably. It's just, and I mean, writers are weirdos. And I'm, a, I'm as weird of a writer as you can possibly be. My characters are real to me. My stories, my world, they just they feel so real. I was telling the people last night, I'll be driving in the car, and some cheesy song will come on, and I'll start thinking of Newt and our, our little Chuck. And I'll just start crying. And I'll be like, I love you guys. <laughs> And uh, it's just so emotional for me. And then, you know, you have these movies that just magnify that. And you have all these amazing people reading your books who are tweeting you all the time. And it's just so fulfilling. So it's really sad to leave something like that behind. But it's also exciting to know that I could try new things with completely new characters and new worlds. Um, I'm excited to write this thriller horror novel that I'm working on. It's just yeah. something totally different. So it's my turn to scar other people's children. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, you mentioned the films being a good way to sort of magnify these books. Were you involved in the creative process of the films in any way? To a degree, enough to feel happy and good about it. You know, Fox made me feel part of the family. So from the very beginning, I was speaking with the producers and Westball, the director. And I read the script, gave some feedback. They would tell me as they cast people. You know, sometimes they ask me my opinion, but it's more like patting me on the head and (laughs) telling me to get lost. Just making me feel good, asking me my opinion. I didn't have any real true power just because I write books. I don't make movies. I'm not really a movie expert. So I, I put all my trust in them. And we just got really lucky with this amazing director and this amazing cast and the music and the visuals, everything. And it's just, I'm evolved enough to be happy. So what was it like when you saw it for the first time, like as a whole thematic experience? It was, it was crazy. It was absolutely, <laughs> it was a very specific individual unique experience i did have that time where i saw it for the first time Mm -hmm. because i purposely as i was going to set you know i saw a lot of scenes filmed i saw them score the music but i kept telling them i don't want to see any early cuts of the film do not show me the film until bye (laughs) do not show me the film until it's almost done. I want to experience this as a film without just seeing it in little pieces. And so 
my agent had seen it, you know, pretty much everyone I knew had, had seen it, several cuts of the movie. But then about July of 2014, they said, we have a pretty good solid cut. We're going to bring you to Fox Studios and show it to you. And it was the most emotional night of my life. This includes marriage, having children, <laughs> deaths in the family, whatever. I just saw my book come to life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And particularly the first movie, I feel, is just so true to the spirit and imagery and characters and everything of the book. And I was just overwhelmed emotionally. I bawled my eyes out when it ended. I mean, I said some of the cheesiest things that I hope no one remembers. <laughs> I was like hugging my agent, hugging strangers, and it was it was pretty cool. Who's seen the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, what I was yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad. Yeah. Do you want an update on the third movie? Yeah. So, for those of you who do not know, this past March they started filming the Death Cure in Vancouver, and our lovely Dylan O'Brien, he got hurt. <laughs> What'd she say? No, I was just watching them gasp. Oh, <gasps> oh Dylan O'Brien. <laughs> What's really weird is last night we were in Los Angeles and I spoke at Dylan O'Brien's high school. I don't know if that was done on purpose or if it was just random, but everyone there was extremely wasn't. proud that Dylan O'Brien had gone to their high school. Oh, I bet. But anyway... Uh, so, Dylan O'Brien, yes, okay. <laughs> so he was doing his own stunts because he's such a brave man. And he got hurt pretty badly. So, and he's, you know, he's in every scene practically. So they just had to shut everything down, send everybody home. And, uh, you know, it took him a while to recover. And then... Kaya Scott-Alario, who plays Teresa, she had the nerve to get pregnant with her husband, <laughs> Rude. which Rude. would have been really cool to work that into the script, <laughs> have a pregnant Teresa running around. <laughs> so she's supposed to have her baby here in another month or two. But anyway, they've totally rescheduled everything. They're going to start filming in early February. And the book will, or the movie will come out in January of 2018. I've read the script. It's going to be awesome. And I'm very excited about it. It's also, they just announced, going to be an IMAX. So that'll be cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you want to just pepper in more like announcements for our yeah, podcast, that's just fine with us. <laughs> Any more things you're not supposed to Hopefully, <laughs> I'm going to have another cameo. Ooh. Did you guys see me in the first movie? Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Not nearly enough people said yes. <laughs> This is one of the finest moments of cinematic history we're talking about. <laughs> right at the end of the movie when Ava Page comes out and there's a group of people sitting around a table, I'm at the table showing the most stoic, <laughs> masterful acting of all time. I'm on screen for six seconds. <laughs> those it. are very important six Yes, seconds. they are. Yeah. Thank you. Very important Thank six you. seconds. Thank you. So the second one never, I mean, I went to the set on the second one, but it was never really a good time to, to fit me in a cameo. But we all really want to make it happen again for the third movie. So we'll see. 
we'll have to like watch very carefully then yeah. when the third one comes out. Yes. So what are some of the books and authors that inspire you? Well, we've talked a lot about Stephen King. Mm-hmm. He's by far my favorite author. Um, you too? Yes. Her, oh, yeah. Her too. My too. Yeah. Stephen King is, I mean, he, some people just think, oh, Stephen King, he's just, you know, this guy, he writes stupid, scary stories. I mean, it's just so not true. It's not even, it's just, he is the most, he is to me the great American writer. He, people don't realize how every single one of his books is so different from every other one of his books. And he's written, you know, and also things like Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and Stand By Me that people don't even realize is Stephen King. He's done TV shows, yep. Haven, yep. And Under the Dome as well. Under the Dome. I mean, he's just... By far, no one is even in the same universe in terms of having things made into movies slash TV shows. He's had like 60 or 70. And not just different versions of the same thing. Like Charles Dickens has probably had 60 versions of Christmas. Carol. Carol. Go say Christmas story. You can say you're in Christmas you're, you're vacation, right Charles Dickens. Christmas story. You can say Christmas story. You're right near Cleveland. The house is yeah, right by Oh, that's right. Yeah, you'd have been right. okay with that. That's a classic. We watch it every year. Anyway... Uh, yeah, so Stephen King. But, I mean, I, I I am a huge movie and TV buff. I see almost every movie. I, I It's the golden age of television. All these, you know, visual, you know, cinema stuff inspires me just as much as books because, I mean, you're seeing it all happen at once, like a story in two hours with dialogue and scenes and character development and, you know, good writing and all this stuff. Um. So yeah, lots of stuff. <laughs> lots. Of <laughs> That's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Lots of. Did you stuff. write that down? Lots of. <laughs> lots stuff. of stuff. <laughs> I'm noticing we have a very fairly young audience here. How many people are in like middle school or high school or teenagers? Yeah, that's a lot. And I've noticed the trend now is sort of dystopian novels that you know you'd sort of fit the Maze Runner. And why do you think that genre appeals so much? to young Hmm. readers? Well, I think... I'm trying to think of something really smart to say. (laughs) (laughs) We just need honesty. We just need to be smart. Part of it, I had this theory, I don't know if it's a very good one, but we had this big fantasy boom with Harry Potter and other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like dystopian is... It adds this other element to it. It feels otherworldly, but there's this added terror and fear that it's actually our world after something in the future that's ter- terrible has happened, or you know, it's it feels like fantasy with the element of mixing it with Earth in the future, and also just I mean, there are dystopians and post-apocalyptic places on the Earth right now. And we see this in the news. Um, and you guys are more connected with the world than ever. And so I'm a huge believer in the power of storytelling. It helps us look at life through this different lens where we can have this separation so we're not too close to it, but we're so buried in it and close enough that it helps us look at our own lives and look at the world and think about things and philosophical things and 
you know, ideas that matter and all this kind of stuff. So I think it just it hit a nerve with people. And I was just in the right place at the right time. There was a few that came out and got big. And then I think the trends are starting to go away from that because we made a, might have gotten too many of them at once. So uh, we'll see what, what the next big thing is. And so we're obviously sitting in a library right now, a very big yeah, I've never library. seen a library quite like this. Yeah. Um, and you may or may not know, since so you're traveling a lot, but it's currently Banned Books Week. And at Overdrive, we are big believers in the importance of reading banned books. But we were just wondering if you have any thoughts on just the idea of people banning books and challenging books and the importance of reading those titles. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm definitely against censorship. That is just way too much of a slippery slope. Um, you know, certainly parents have the right to, to raise their children how they want them to and, and protect them from things that they feel it's right. But I do not think it's, you know, the government's job to come in and tell us what we can read and what we can't read. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had tiny little, I mean, I've had places. One time I was going to visit an elementary school. This was a few years back. And they called us up and said that some parents had complained that my stuff was too dark and they canceled, canceled me. I was like, I've been banned. <laughs> it was the greatest feeling ever. It's not happened since. I need to write more seedy books, I guess. No, no I, I, I mean, it's a very sensitive subject. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, you know, it's the parent's job to raise a child. And uh, so we should leave that with the parents. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a good answer. That works. That's a good, That's a good answer. answer. Kind of putting you in the spot right there. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going off of that and, and being in a library, and we're a library company, do you have any memories of going to the library when you were younger? Oh, yes. I have the greatest memories. When I was a kid, our library was in the coolest place. And I can, it was, in, it was on the top floor of this really, really old courthouse. And to get to it, at least the way we got to it, you entered this side door and walked up three flights of stairs, this really old building. And it had this smell. And I, I can't really describe it, but I can totally remember it. It's like musty stone, wood, leather, maybe some body odor thrown in. <laughs> And uh, every once in a while, I'll be somewhere and just get some kind of smell that reminds me of it, and I'll just be thrown back to that place. But it was my favorite place in the world. I was there constantly, did the summer reading program, all that kind of stuff. And I have another series called The 13th Reality that was with a little bit smaller publisher, but it's on very much on purpose, his place where he hangs out is a library after school, and it's totally based on my childhood. He's like a total library nerd. <laughs> so are we. Yeah, yeah we like library nice. nerds. All right. so it's I'm the highest compliment I can give someone. Absolutely. Just for the record. Okay. I have a few rapid-fire questions for you. All right. And then I'm sure we pro- I'm guessing we probably have questions in the audience. Is that a safe bet? Yeah, I'm it's seeing a bunch of heads nodding. Yes. Lots okay. So... Our podcast is called The Professional Book Nerds, so I call this the Nerd Nine. Nerd Nine, okay. I like, alliter- I like alliteration. 
Okay. <laughs> so these are quick. Just All right. no second thought. Okay. What is the last book you read? Read and finished or reading? Let's say reading. I'm reading a book called Here I Am by Jonathan something for... Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite place to read? My library in my house. Uh, guilty pleasure? Like mine is... I post on Instagram way too many pictures of my dogs. Like, it's like a stupid amount of pictures. That's your guilty pleasure? It's, it's a problem. It's you don't a pr- follow his Instagram You don't page. follow my Instagram. It's a problem. Oh, uh, my guilty pleasure is midnight pizza. That's a good one. Yeah. One place you'd like to travel that you haven't yet been to. Oh, it's easy. Italy. Favorite movie? You can say your own. No, can't say that. I would say Inception. Yes. Favorite holiday? Oh, Christmas. Okay. But I really love Thanksgiving and Halloween. <laughs> Just, and I love Labor Day. Oh, I'll accept it. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Oh. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah you're going to oh. make a lot of enemies. I don't care here. who hates me after this, but it's just the truth. I hate cats. <laughs> That was a shocking amount they of They are the spawn of Satan. I don't care what you say. Uh, cats kind of creep me out. I don't know why. Maybe I was attacked by cats when I was a child. But we have a, uh, we have a Shih Tzu named Cassie who's very cute. I should put a picture on Instagram. Yeah, you should. You should put several of them if you're, I'm pretty if you're sure taking advice from me. better than your dog. <laughs> well, I have wow. two. I'm just saying. Oh, you have two. Yeah. Uh, favorite right. food? Pizza. At midnight. Yeah. Midnight pizza. Uh, and then the last one, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Well, I've already had it with Stephen King, so... Humble brag? <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> he wrote his personal email address on his napkin and gave it to me. True story. <laughs> what was the question? Was oh, oh, I know. Abraham, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Oh, perfect. And when I was having dinner with Stephen King... It might, I might as well have been having dinner with Abraham Lincoln. That's how weird and surreal it was. That's I like Stephen King. Perfect. Have you gotten that yet? Yeah. No. Perfect. And I like Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to try this. If you have a question, if you could maybe stand up and we'll try to point you out. I'm going to let you pick, Joe. Okay. Right. Well, they were up first. In the, in the, the red two. over there. Yes. If you could kind of shout it, we'll repeat it so people can hear. Why did you build this? Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> spoiler alert. Nah. I have to tell, I always tell this story about spoiler alerts because I was at something recently. I don't even know what it was. And I talked about Romeo and Juliet and how they killed themselves at the end. And this one guy got spoiler seriously alert. mad. He's like, how did you, you spoiled it. I'm like, it's 400 years old. If you, you can spoil things that are 400 years old. Maze Runner is a few years old, so I, we forgive you if, if you haven't read it yet. But you're wondering what the answer to that question say, is. I was going to say, you're just not going to answer that. <laughs> because that's, that's what happened. <laughs> I don't think they're satisfied be, with that answer. <laughs> I had to be true to the story, and the fact that it has made so many people feel so much emotion is, think about how amazing that is. A book made you feel something so much that you want to murder me. (laughs) And that is pretty cool. And I'm sorry. (laughs) 
uh, striped shirt right there, yeah. I got. I heard this yesterday too. I, I'm gonna let you explain this to him. Am I supposed to know what that is? Oh, who would you pick in your? I did know that. I did know that. Who would you ship? I, I I crumbled under the pressure. I knew what that meant because I get that on Twitter all the time. Uh, my OTP. Uh. From Maze Runner? I can't answer that. That's, see. I see what you're doing. <laughs> I'm picking up. This is very important to me. This is a, I, I wrote the Maze Runner books, but it's very important to me that I, that I don't influence you any further than what's written on those pages because it would ruin it for people because there are so many theories and so many OTPs and ships and all this stuff and, there's Newtmus, hashtag Newtmus. <laughs> you guys are so insane. And if you believe it, then it's true. And I don't want to influence it. Did I do okay? Yeah, that's, that's really good. good job. That's a really good job. I applaud that. That's a good answer. I'm going to go with the orange straight back there in the middle. I'm just going to stick on this topic, well, I see. I just keep picking the really good yeah. ones. <laughs> Are you trying to build up the courage right now? <laughs> it's, well, I'll tell you this. I don't take it lightly. I put a lot of thought into it. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of sadness and emotion. And in one case in Maze Runner, I went back and forth between two different people and ultimately decided this one dude or one person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there are and I always tell people there's one that I regret, but I'll never tell anyone. So it does take courage. Plus, I have to re- you know I have to think about wh- how my fans will react. But I, I try not to let that influence me too much because I want to stay true to what feels like it's the right story. So uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, right here in the front. It's a good question, but I didn't really answer it. Sorry. Work out. <laughs> Work out. Um, what was one of your favorite characters to write about I think Min Ho is one of my favorites. He's, uh, I just love that guy. And the movies I thought really captured the spirit of his character. Just, you know, a little sassy, a little sarcastic, reckless, funny. But you never really doubt his loyalty, in my opinion. He's just fiercely loyal. He's, he's someone you'd want to be your friend. And I really like him a lot. Next, we'll go right here in front. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, for one thing, you need to practice. I've been trying to preach this a lot. It sounds so obvious, but then no one does it. Okay, if, and I gave this example recently, a lot of times people come up to me and say, oh, I want to be an author just like you, how do I do it? And I'll say, well, have you ever written anything? Have you written a book or a short story? And they're like, no, but I want to. <laughs> and I just, I, I give this example, and this is, per, I, th- I'm not just making this up, this is the exact example I gave, and I was not in Cleveland. 
Can you imagine a kid coming up to LeBron James and saying, I want to be in the NBA just like you, and him saying, have you ever played basketball? No. <laughs> How do I get in the NBA? You have to write a lot. Try to write every day, and the act of writing helps you. It just You naturally get better even though you don't realize it. But you have to combine that with learning about your craft from books or writing conferences. Your, especially in the beginning, your, your, curve, your learning curve can jump high so quickly. Just these little things that can fix your writing, especially as you practice them. And then it might level off and you'll slowly improve for a long time, but you gotta do those two things. So look for writing conferences, try to write every day, and then keep submitting to publishers until you have 1,000 rejections. That was my same mantra in high school when I was asking girls out. <laughs> I finally talked this one girl into going out with me. It also helps Not that really. you don't have uh, to be, you also don't have to be seven feet tall to be a writer, which helps. That's true. That's how thank, you got that thank, going for you. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully. In the back with the blue hoodie and the white t-shirt. <laughs> Welcome. The Grievers. Well, I just, I wanted it to be my own thing, my own invention. Not something we've ever heard of, like trolls or whatever. Uh, and I love the concept of things that are part animal, part machine. <laughs> Sweet. And uh, so, and even little things like I despise things that are slimy. I hate frogs, and I hate slugs, and I hate snakes, and I hate lizards. Oh, yeah, I really do hate these things. <laughs> <Yeah>. Newt. <laughs> wow. Do you hate newts because you killed one? Oh. Hey, maybe there's some subconscious stuff going on there. Yeah. But... And so the, the Grievers had this nasty, slimy skin with like little hairs coming up. Oh. And just my imagination went wild. And I was, I was actually, people asked me what I thought of the, the movie Grievers, and I was thrilled. I thought it's the spirit of the book, but just made perfect for the big screen. Just way more visual and visceral and in your face and, and practical. Much, much better for a movie. So I'm, I'm happy with the Grievers, both book world and movie world. All right, just so for everyone who couldn't hear, it's who of every character he's written about is your favorite? Favorite of all time. Besides Minho? Uh, well, um, in my, okay, <laughs> this sounds like a plug for my other books, but my other series, The 13th Reality, there's this character named Mothball. <laughs> And she's like this goofy British lady who's seven feet tall. And she's from a different reality, so she's kind of weird. But uh, I've always just really loved her. She's Maybe someday you'll read about Mothball. Uh, in the black t-shirt, kind of right here in the middle. Like, yeah. All right, what was your favorite series and books to write? I'm really proud of, of I don't know if any of you have read 
the Eye of Minds, Mortality Doctrine series. Okay, sweet, sweet. It was, it was really funny timing on that. The first book came out two weeks before the Maze Runner movie came out. And so Maze Runner was just exploding, and that's what everyone was talking about. And I was like, uh, I have a new book. <laughs> <laughs> but just so many people were discovering the Maze Runner with the movie and stuff that I felt like I got lost in the shuffle a little bit, but it's just steadily grown since then, and it's a three-book series. But I'm really proud of it because I really mapped it out more than anything I've ever done. And I planted all these clues, and it has all these cool twists. And it's, it's just, I felt really good about the whole story arc from the very beginning. So I think that's the one I'm most proud of. The Snoopy right here in front. So that was, if you lived in the maze, what job would you have? I would be so horrible in the maze. <laughs> I am scared of everything. I mean, you can tell I hate cats because I'm scared of them. I hate lizards and, and newts. Oh, twice. <laughs> Aren't newts salamanders? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Does this happen I'm thinking often? of newts salamanders. Yeah. Do, you what am I thinking of? Do people just assume you hate all reptiles? I've actually never had someone make that connection that... Anyway, <laughs> um, I would, whatever job that I could just hide behind a tree and cry all the time, is, I'd probably be a, a, a ba- uh, not a bagger, but a slopper, because I'd be so scared to do anything, they would just make me do the dirty work, mm-hmm. and I would cry the whole time. <laughs> Way up in the corner with the white t-shirt. If you were a character in the Maze Runner, who would you be? I got serious. Zart. No, Zart's kind of a minor character. Always, <laughs> I don't know why, but I always imagined Zart as this weasley little wimpy guy. So that's who I'd probably be, actually. <laughs> and they call him Zart the Fart, which is the most obvious nickname in history. <laughs> but he's named after Mozart. So it wasn't like I just made up Zart out of nowhere because it rhymed with fart. <laughs> I'm sure they called Mozart Mozart the fart too. You didn't backwards, In constru- you didn't backwards construct that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Want <laughs> to go with the gentleman in the hoodie over here? Do the events that happen in the kill order intertwine with the events that happen in the fever code? Well, I've always said the fever code is a sequel to the prequel because it is a sequel to the kill order and a prequel to the Maze Runner. It bridges kill order to the Maze Runner. And I feel like most people know there's definitely a character that connects kill order to the fever code to the Maze Runner. And most people have already figured that out because there's a short story I did. But if you haven't, you will figure it out when you read The Fever Code. So it's definitely connected. All right, got time for one more. Let's go with the flannel shirt right there. Yeah. How long did it take you to write Fever Code? Fever Code is the hardest book I've ever written. It took me longer than probably any other book. And I would say... It was a good year-long process, 
For one thing, this is kind of funny, I had to research my own books. So I reread all the Maze Runner books, and I was taking notes. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Because I didn't want to have any contradictions or anything like that. And so I just really studied the other four books. And sometimes I have to refer to the wiki page for Maze Runner, because whoever (laughs) does that is amazing. If you ever forget what color hair someone has, just look on the wiki page, because there are insane people who keep that up to date. But then we just, you know, my editor and I and my agent, we went through so many revisions and just really tried to make it the perfect way to end the series. So I hope you like it. All right. Well, I'll be honest. I want to thank everyone for coming out. With all the lightning that was going on, I kind of felt like I was in the scorch when I got here. (laughs) Um, But I want to give James Asher a round of applause. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.